At the Canaan Church, our mission is bringing people to Christ and helping every person to become a mature disciple in Christ. Canaan Christian Church, where people dare to dream. Father and our God, as we prepare to receive your word, prepare our hearts and our minds for what you're about to deposit into our spirits. We thank you, God, for the power of prayer. We thank you, God, for the privilege of prayer. Teach me, Jesus, to pray. And teach me, Jesus, how to pray. And then, God, I pray now that you bless the person sitting on my left and on my right in front of me, behind me. Show yourself strong on their behalf. And then God, I thank you for the word that I'm about to receive. And I thank you in advance this word will save, it will heal, it will strengthen, it will deliver. It will not return void, but it will accomplish the purpose for which it was sent forth. So God, we give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. God, be glorified in this place <clears throat> because you're God and you're God by yourself. Then God, let fresh anointing remain upon us. And I ask, O oh God, as always, that you'll let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Come on, let's put those hands together and give God some praise. Thank God for the music ministry of our church, for our praise team, Joe Lovell, Darren Johnson, the band. What a marvelous job they do week after week as they bless us in song. When you entered into the worship experience today, you received some items today. One, everybody received, you should have received this card that says, Dare to Dream a Spiritual Awakening. It says, Give me five. And on the back, it has some very important information. This card has been sized and developed so that it can fit easily into your Bible. I'm going to ask that you would please hold on to this. Put it in your Bible. Keep it with you every week. Review it. Read it on a regular basis until it gets so deep into your spirit that you could quote it without even having it in your hand. This is going to be the basis of the revelation that God has given us today. Then you also receive some wonderful bookmarkers. One says, who's your one? I love these bookmarkers. I've got them in my Bible and I put them strategically in scriptures that I want to read. And even when I'm teaching the word of God, I'm able to put it in a place that helps me to turn to the scripture that I'm teaching to very quickly. So I'm asking you to keep this in your Bible. Who's your one? All of us ought to bring one person to Christ this year. Who's your one? Read the scriptures that are on the back. The scriptures on the back of that bookmark will be inspirational and insightful for the living of your days. There is a second bookmarker that you got that says invest and invite. And again, this bookmarker will aid you in bringing someone to Christ. You want to invest, invest time in prayer and invest time in people, then invite. Invite them to experience your story, invite them to experience God's grace, invite them to experience our church. And when you turn on the back, glory, hallelujah, there is the plan of salvation is what is called the Roman road to salvation. You can literally lead a man, lead a woman to Christ by taking them right through these scriptures in the book of Romans and help them to understand who Jesus Christ wants to be as their Lord and Savior. Keep these bookmarkers in your Bible. They will bless you. And again, it is part of this celebration today of uh the Canaan way, the Canaan way. And of course, the theme of our church is Dare to Dream, and it is a spiritual awakening because God is continuously revealing himself to us. 
Amen. Now, beloved, I would that you would turn with me as we prepare to receive the revelation that God has given us today. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I want to read verses 1 through 16. It's a little lengthy in its reading, but I want to read this entire pericope so that you can grasp the revelation that God is speaking into our lives today. I'm going to ask that we would stand all over the church for the reading of the word of God. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 4 beginning with verse 1 the word of God reads like this I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness with long suffering bearing with one another in love endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might feel all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I want to teach today for just a few minutes from this idea, give me five. Give me five. If the person is sitting beside you, someone that you know, then you can just turn to that person literally and give them a high five. Just tell them, say, give me five. Now, if the person is beside you, someone that you do not know, you don't have to touch them, just hallelujah. Just, just raise that hand and you know, just come just a little short of touching, but just tell them symbolically, give me five. That's what I want to talk about today is give me five. I open this teaching today without apology, declaring that great is our God and greatly to be praised. I said great is our God and greatly to be praised. I said, I'm opening this teaching today declaring without apology, great is our God and greatly to be praised. Our God is greatly to be praised because he loved us so much that he gave the very best he had. He gave his only begotten son. He sent Jesus Christ into the world to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. He loved us so much that his son Jesus Christ dies on a cross for the remission of our sins that we might be redeemed and reconciled in our relationship with God. But not only is God great and greatly to be praised because he saved us, but God is great and he's greatly to be praised because he has called us 
to be in partnership with him. He has called us to work with him for the advancement of his kingdom in the world. I don't know about you, but it blows my ever-living mind that a God who is holy, a God who is without fault and without failure, that he would take a person like myself and after he saves me, he would allow me to have the privilege to work with him for the advancement of his kingdom. Because I realized that before he saved me, I was the wretched of the earth. I understand that I was a low-down, dirty shame. He looked beyond my faults and he recognized my needs. Now, if you're not quite feeling me on this, then just consider how Paul puts it in this same epistle of Ephesians in chapter 2. Paul says, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the, to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. This scripture ain't talking about the person sitting beside you. It's talking about you. All of us at one point in our lives were lost. All of us at one point in our lives were enemies of God. All of us in some way or another have disappointed God, have hurt the heart of God, have done that which was not pleasing in God's sight. Look at somebody say he's in my house right now. But aren't you glad for verse 4? But, have you ever shouted on a but? But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That's why God is great and greatly to be praised because not only does he save us but after he saves us then he raises us up to sit in the heavenly place in Christ Jesus. He doesn't do it because of our goodness but he does it by his grace. What a privilege, what an honor it is for you and I to be entrusted with the work of the kingdom of God. When Paul writes to the church at Corinth, Paul says God put this treasure in earthen vessels that the, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. The late Dr. William Augustus Jones put it like this. He says God has put treasure in trash. That God allows you and I to be the handlers of this glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. God allows us to take this word, handle this word, and share this word with others. God calls you and I to work with him for the advancement of the kingdom of God. So today, we celebrate in a very special way that for 39 years the Canaan church has been engaged with the Lord Jesus Christ in the spirit of Christ to advance God's kingdom in the world. We say it is the Canaan way and it's the Canaan way because we declare as a church that we want to do God's will and God's will is in his word. We say the Canaan way, we're not talking about just doing something that pleases us but that we are willing to submit ourselves and surrender ourselves to God so that according to his word we can do that which gives glory and honor to God. We talking about the Canaan way. I don't know how any and all other churches do it, but at the Canaan church, we have a way that we do it, and we do it according to the word of God. 39 years ago, in 1983, we started the Canaan church with 97 people. And there were two things that we said. One is we declared what we did not want to be. 
We said in 1983, we do not want to be a stereotypical black Baptist church. That's what we said we didn't want to be. On the other hand, we said there's something we do want to be. And that is, we, want, we said we wanted to be the most committed and consecrated church, the most devoted and dedicated church to the Lord Jesus Christ that we could be in the world according to the word of God and particularly according to the New Testament record. We understand that as a church that the church is not the building that we meet in but the church is simply an edifice that has been dedicated and sanctified for the worship of God and to carry out the ministry of God but that the church has her truest expression in the lives of baptized believers in Christ. So who constitutes the Canaan Christian church? It is the people of God that constitutes the Canaan Christian church. Oh, you ought to give God a praise right there because you are the church. One of the oldest definitions of a church simply says this, that a church is a body of baptized believers in Christ who have come together in a covenant relationship with God and with one another to carry out the purpose of God in the world. Let me give it to you again. One of the oldest definitions of what a church is is that a church is a body of baptized believers in Christ who have come together in a covenant relationship with God and with one another to carry out the purposes of God in the world. The church is not a man-made institution. The church has her spiritual genesis in God. Jesus says in Matthew 16, he says, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The Greek word for church is the word ekklesia. It means the called out ones. It is only in Matthew's gospel chapter 16 that you'll find that word ekklesia in the four gospels. Jesus said upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Who does the church belong to? The church belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ because you and I as individual Christians we have been bought with a price Jesus Christ died on the cross for our salvation we belong to him so the church is more than just another institution in our society. The church is more than Jack and Jill. The church is more than the Boule. The church is more than a hundred black men. The church is more than the fraternity. The church is more than a sorority. The church is more than the YMCA. The church is more than city government, state government, federal government. The church is more than a university. The church is more than the hospitals. The church is more than corporate America. The church is more than businesses. The church is the body of Christ. We are God's representatives in the world. We are a spiritual institution and we represent God and we deal with people's lives both in time and in eternity. Beloved Jesus, he didn't come preaching church. Hear me today. Jesus did not come preaching church. He came preaching about the kingdom of God. And it was the vision of the kingdom of God that Jesus would entrust to the church so that the church would then help to carry out the vision of the establishment and the expansion of the kingdom of God in the world so that the same Jesus who said upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He's the same Christ who said to the early believers go into all the world and make disciples of every nation baptize them in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit to teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you and lo I'll, I'll be with you always even until the end of the age. He's 
the same Christ who said to the early disciples, don't go nowhere and don't do nothing until you get the power. He's the same Christ who says to the early disciples, go tarry in Jerusalem. And after the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to receive power. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and unto the othermost parts of the world. Jesus is talking about the birthing of the church. What was Pentecost, Pastor? The day of Pentecost is when the church was birthed. Luke says that the Holy Spirit came in like a mighty rushing wind set upon them as cloven tongues of fire and then miracles and signs and wonders broke out. Peter preached one sermon and 3,000 people joined the church and then one of the most pivotal verses you can read in the book of Acts and in the New Testament is Acts chapter 2 verse 42. It says and they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine breaking the bread fellowship and prayer that's the church and we said at the Canaan Christian Church that we want to be a 21st century church with a first century mindset that we want to be a Acts 242 church hallelujah look somebody again and tell them give me five Give me five. Now, in this text today, and I just want to walk through it quickly, and then I want to walk you through this uh, card on what's on the back side. But in this, in this text, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, it is a marvelous, insightful, inspirational text because it really speaks to the heart of the operations of the church. Ephesians is a book, an epistle written by Paul, and it is what is called by theologians a circular epistle, meaning that it was not just written for the church at Ephesus, but it was written to actually speak to churches all across Asia Minor. It was to give insight, it was to give instruction, it was to give clarity on how the church is to operate. In a very real sense, it speaks to us about the ecclesiology of the church or the structure of the church. And I need to just help about five of you all again to understand that belonging to a church is not like belonging to a secular organization. You are a part of the body of Christ. To be saved means that Jesus Christ has taken residency in your life. To be a Christian means that your life is occupied by the Holy Spirit. So Paul says, to begin with, he says, walk worthy of the calling wherewith you are called. There are three words in the epistle of Ephesians that are very important for you to recognize. Three words. The first word is sit. Sit. Everybody just shout sit. The second word is walk. Everyone shout walk. And the third word is stand. Everyone shout stand. In this epistle, Paul tells us as he's led by God, he tells us that we are to sit in Christ, we are to walk worthy of the calling where we are called, and then we are to stand in the midst of spiritual warfare, stand and having done all to stand, keep on standing. But beloved, you can't stand if you ain't walking in what you're supposed to walk in and you can't walk in what you're supposed to walk in if you don't understand the place that God called you to sit. Because you've been called to sit in the heavenly place in Christ Jesus. Look at somebody say, no basement thinking for me. No, I, I'm not living in the basement. I'm spiritually in the penthouse. The problem with too many saints is they ain't thinking right because they don't know where they're supposed to be living. 
And then in our text today, particularly Paul says we are to walk worthy of the calling wherein we have been called. You look at me and you recognize that I'm a called man of God. Dr. Walter Malone, Jr., pastor of the Canaan Christian Church, you understand that I have been licensed to preach the gospel. You understand that I have been ordained. I was ordained to preach the gospel at First Baptist Church in Nashville, Tennessee, First Baptist South Inglewood, 1515 Ann Street, under the Reverend, the late Reverend Thomas E. Sweeney. I was ordained. Hands were laid on me. I'm licensed and I'm ordained. So you have no problem recognizing that I'm a called man of God. But the problem for many church people is you don't recognize that you're called too. That's, that's the problem of the church. The problem of the church is folks sitting in the pew don't acknowledge God's calling on their life. No. Everybody saved has been called. You don't have to have a clergy collar. You don't have to be ordained. You don't have to be uh, uh, licensed. You have been called. Because when God saved you, he called you. And he didn't call you to sit. He called you to serve. So every man, every woman, every Christian should have a mindset that I want to give myself away. I want to serve God. That God didn't save me just to come to a building once a week on Sunday, have a nice good little worship time, go home, ain't got nothing else to do with God until I come back next Sunday and do it all over again. That ain't being a Christian, that's just you religious. It doesn't speak of the fact that you have an authentic relationship with God. It would say maybe that you are a church atheist. It says you go to church but you don't believe in God. Now I know that sounds a little rough, but, but, but beloved, I'm just teaching Bible. Because in the Gospel of John, Jesus defined what it means to be saved. So I ain't got to give my opinion. I ain't got to give no speculation. All I got to do is say what he said. And if you want to know how Jesus defined revelation, read John 17 up around verse 1, 2, and 3. And how did he define it? Jesus says being saved is that you know God and that you know his son whom he has sent into the world. So being saved means I know God. It's not that I just believe that there is a God, but I have come to know him personally for myself in the person of Jesus Christ. That's how I know I'm saved, as I know Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. And Jesus says, if any man would be my disciple, let him first deny himself. Didn't he say it? Take up his cross and follow me. So if I'm saved, I know Jesus personally. It ain't just that my mama knows him or my daddy knows him. I know him for myself. I have surrendered my life to him. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. It's personal. So I can't have all that going for me and then just come to church once a week and sit down and go home and do nothing else. If I'm saved, I understand I'm saved to serve. And when God saved me, he called me. Teach Walter Malone, Jr., in our calling, we're called to be one. There's no place for division, for fraction, for divisiveness in the body of Christ. It's not uniformity, but it's one. 
one with God, one with one another. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. We work for oneness. And then Paul says something that is just marvelous. He says that Jesus Christ, having been crucified on the cross, resurrected from the grave, that he ascended back to glory like a conquering king and took with him the spoils of his victory. And then he gave gifts to the church. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastor teachers, that's one word, for a reason, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, for a reason, that we would grow up in spiritual maturity and be able to walk in the fullness of our faith in Jesus Christ, for a reason, that we will no longer be like children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine and the trickery of men. You gotta know what you believe. Least somebody dupe you who got the gift of gab. They talk a lot, but everybody talking about God ain't talking for God. And discernment is like American Express. Don't leave home without it. And discernment is not something mystical. Discernment is being able to know the difference between truth and falsehood. And the way you operate with discernment is that you know the word of God. And let me take it just a little deeper. It ain't just knowing the difference between right and wrong or truth and falsehood. Listen very, very, very carefully to what I'm about to tell you. It is knowing the difference between what is false and what looks like it's almost right. Because if you're saved, the devil ain't going to try to trick you with something obvious. He ain't coming at you like a warlock. He ain't going to come against you like a witch. You know a witch when you see her. You know a warlock when you look at him. But the Bible says he'll dress himself up. He'll masquerade like an angel of light. He's very sagacious, slick, sly. And the way you, you know him is if you keep talking and if you ask the right questions, the unclean spirit's gonna say the wrong thing. It's, it's like that big bad wolf and the three pigs. Grandmother, you got big ears. Grandmother, your teeth look a little long. And why you keep waving your hand? Because that tail keeps coming out. See, see, unclean spirits can only cloak themselves for so long. Paul says God gave these gifts so we don't get tricked and deceived. And he says we minister to one another speaking the truth in love. All of us fall short of the glory sometimes, but don't kick me when I fall. Just help me correct me in my wrong and then pick me up. And all of this, he says in verse 16, is to cause growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Glory, hallelujah. What a wonderful church we constitute if we'll do what God says according to his word. 
That's the Canaan way. So very quickly for the little time I got left, we want to work where God is working. Where there are five places we want to work where God is working. And you don't see prayer on that back page, but prayer is going to be the first thing I'm going to say. And I'm going to take service and put service and include that in evangelism. Because prayer should have been on there. <laughs> so if we're going to work where God is working, the first thing we got to do, beloved, is we got to pray. Come on, the praise team just got through singing it. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege it is to carry <coughs> everything. Not most things, not some things, but everything to God in prayer. Beloved, prayer is not a 9-11 call. Prayer is not something you do when you get in trouble, but you don't do it no other time. Prayer is not a program. Prayer is a discipline. I pray every day because it's a discipline. It's something that I understand that I've got to do because I understand I need God. I don't know about you, but I need him. And I need him every day. I, I don't think I can make it without him. So I don't wait until trouble gets in my life to talk to God. I talk to God because I have a relationship with him. I talk to him because I love him. I talk to him because I want his wisdom. I want his grace. I want his anointing. Imagine how you would feel if you were God, if the only time the person that you saved, the only time they talk to you is when they want something from you. <clears throat> I'm married to a beautiful young lady, Sandra F. Malone. And um, if the only time I spoke to her is when I wanted her to do something for me, how do you think she would feel? How would I feel if the only time she spoke to me is when she wanted something? If you're a parent and you have adult children now, how, do, how would you feel if the only time your child contacts you is when they want something? I don't want Walter III just to call me when he wants something. I want him to call me and just say, hey, Daddy, how you doing? Yeah. And some of us, we treat God so cold. We don't talk to him until we want something from him. But prayer is God saying, out of the relationship that you have with me, I want you to love me and love me from your heart. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. And prayer is the key to your victory because it's your weapon in spiritual warfare. I wish I had somebody who knows how to pray their way through. When you have trouble in your life, you don't panic, you pray. And the blessing of praying all the time is that when the storm does arise, you can say to God, well, I don't need to panic because I've been talking to you before this happened. And I know it couldn't happen unless in your permissive will you allowed it to happen. And if you allowed it to happen, God, you let me get in it, you'll get me out. And in the meantime, I'm going to praise you while I'm going through. So we work with God in prayer. Then we work with God in the word. We got to learn the word. We got to know the word. Jesus says, if you continue in my word, you will be my disciples indeed. And he says, and if you continue in my word, he says, I'll set you free. You'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. And whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Peter in his epistle says, as newborn babes, he says, desire the pure milk of the word. Read Psalm 119 when you get a chance. It is the longest pericope of passage of scripture in the Bible. And the whole Psalm of Psalm 119 is talking about one thing, the excellency of God's word. That's the Psalm where we read, Thy word, O God, have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. 
That's the psalm where we read, Thy word, O God, is forever settled in heaven. Sister Springfield, that one scripture will make me run. Because that says that everything God is purposing for my life was settled before I was born. So it don't matter what the devil tries to do to me, Brother Springfield, my victory is guaranteed. Because it was already settled in heaven. You learn that when you learn the word. So I'm trying to tell every saint in here, you ought to be running to the Connection Group Bible study. You ought to run to Bible study on Wednesday. You ought to read the word, study the word, meditate on the word every day of your life. But then thirdly, we work with God in the area of evangelism and service. We've been saved to help save others. I'm a Christian today, but I didn't stumble into the church. Someone led me to Jesus. And I got a reason to believe that the reason you're saved is someone led you to Christ. If someone brought us to Christ, ought not we be willing to bring others to Christ? So I'm not just asking God to give me a raise. I'm not just asking God for a house, for a car, for clothes. I'm not asking God for things. All of my prayer life ought not be about what I want God to do for me. It ought to be sometimes about, God, what would you have me to do for you? So I'm asking God to put people in my path. Every day, I take joy witnessing to others. Every day. My wife already told me today I ain't cooking. <laughs> she told me, said, before you get out of the house, I ain't cooking. <laughs> so you better go somewhere and get you something to eat. I said, all right. <laughs> and she meant it too, she ain't cooking. But I said, all right. Because what I look at that as, it's a great opportunity. Why, Pastor? Because somebody gonna serve me at the restaurant. I just don't know who. But whoever the waiter is, whoever the waitress is, I can tell you this much, they gonna hear about Jesus today. If they serve me, because it's an opportunity. There are other people sitting around me. If by chance they look over at me and don't know me, but just say, how you doing today? If they say, good afternoon. If they say, I hope you enjoy your, if they say anything to me. <laughs> they just opened the door. Because I'm going to respond back and say, well, I'm blessed and highly favored of the Lord. Ain't God good? And if they say something, yes, he is. Oh, it's home now. Because I am not ashamed of him. And I like talking about him. And I like sharing him with any word talking about. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its flavor, it's good for nothing but to be trodden under the foot of men. He says, you are the light of the world, but you don't set a candle under the table. You set the candle on top of the table that it may bring light to the whole room. Beloved of God, we got to be careful that we don't forfeit our salvation. We got to be careful that we don't forfeit the faith and throw away the reason we were saved. Because we were not saved just to attend church. And we were not saved just to go to heaven because God is not lonely. We were saved to carry his glory and to bring others into a saving relationship with him. And then fourthly, we work with God in the area of stewardship. 
We give God the best of our time, our talents, and our treasures. We give him the best of our time. You and I ought not get so busy that we ain't got time for God. I'm getting ready to, I'm getting ready to do a series here real soon entitled Living Where Life Matters. Living Where Life Matters. John Ortberg wrote a wonderful book entitled When the Game is Over, It All Goes Back into the Box. And you're going to go into a box too. We ought to make time for God. And then we give him our talents. God has gifted all of us. I'm looking at gifted men and gifted women. What are you doing with your gift? Are you dissipating it? Are you sitting down on it? What's your gift? And then we give God our treasures, the money that God gives us. Every Christian ought to tithe. Amen. Every Christian ought to freely give the offering above the tithe, joyfully. Because beloved, as quiet as it's kept, every dime you got, God gave it to you first. You, you wouldn't have it. You, you wouldn't have it. When people talk about, I can't afford to tithe, I tell them, no, you can't afford not to tithe. Not if you know where your blessings come from. And don't get it twisted. Well, I went to work and I worked 40 hours this week and I worked overtime. I earned this. Try this out. <clears throat> Try this out. Don't wake up tomorrow. Just try it out. Don't wake up and see whose job you go to work at. Everything is predicated on waking up. And God is the giver of life and God is the sustainer of life. We don't own anything. We really don't. The house I live in is God's house. The car I live in is God's car. The clothes I wear, they're God's clothes. <laughs> the two dimes I got is God's. When, 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 when uh, uh, Rockefeller died, somebody asked his accountant, how much did he leave? The accountant said he left it all. <laughs> You get that on the way home. There's, there's one more area that we work where God works. And Joe, I, I've been wanting to get to this last one so bad, I had to tell myself, take your time and teach because I wanted to get to this fifth one. Because you know where the fifth place we work where God is working? Is in worship. Yeah, in worship. Yeah, the people of God, we ought to be excited about God. We ought to have a desire to praise him. Yeah, praise him. Give him glory. Give him honor. Give him praise. We, we, we come to church to make some noise. We don't come to church to be quiet. We come to church to make some noise because he's worthy to be praised. The psalmist puts it like this. He says in Psalm 100, make a joyful shout to the noise, to the Lord, all you lands. Another translation says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Yeah, we come to church to make some noise, to give God some crazy praise. Why? Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. I'm going to praise him because he made me who I am. So how am I going to come to church? He says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. When you come into the building, you ought to come in with praise on your mind and praise on your lips. You ought to walk in the door waving your hand and giving God a wave offering. 
For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. I'm going to say it again, church ain't a quiet place. Church is a noisy place. If you want to be quiet, go to the cemetery. But if you want to come to church, you ought to be ready to make some noise. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Oh, I'm not trying to pump you up. I'm just saying to those who know him, why don't you join in with me and worship him? Oh, you ain't got to, uh, you, you, you ain't got to give him an undignified praise because of what he did 10 years ago. Now, you can give him an undignified praise. You can give him a crazy praise for what he did for you today. He's worthy to be praised. I like to go to church where folk ain't ashamed of him. I like to go to church where folk carry on about him. I like to go to church where folk say, glory, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I love you, God. I adore you, God. Somebody said it don't take all that. Yeah, it does. It takes that and some more because you don't know what I've had to go through. And if you knew what I had to go through and if you had been with me when I was going through it, you'd holler for me. I, you, know, you know, Joe, when I came to church today, I said to myself that when I say all of this, there's going to be somebody who's going to keep on sitting down because they don't think it takes all that. They need some reasons. All right, I see you. You're still sitting. Okay, I'm going to give you 10 reasons why you ought to stand on your feet and praise them. I'm going to give you 10 because I knew you was going to need a little extra, so I came prepared. I'm going to give you 10 reasons why you ought to praise God like you lost your mind. Number one, he woke me up this morning. Started me on my way. Number two, he woke me up this morning. Started me on my way. Number three, he woke me up this morning. Started me on my way. Number four, he woke me up this morning. Started me on my way. Number five, he woke me up this morning. Started me on my way. Number six, he woke me up this morning. Started me on my way. Number seven, he woke me up this morning and started me on my way. Number eight, he woke me up this morning and started me on my way. Number nine, he woke me up this morning and he started me on my way. Number 10, he woke me up this morning and he started me on my way. The Bible says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. If you are breathing, why don't you give him an undignified praise, a crazy praise, hallelujah, glory, glory, shout glory, hallelujah, shout hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah, he's worthy, he's worthy, he's worthy to be praised. Give me five. The people represent the church no matter where we are. So stay connected and reach others as we grow in Christ.